Good afternoon, everyone. I'm going to read a small section from my second book, Maybe. This section starts as Wilkie and I are trying to make our climb up the Naktavik Glacier onto the Greenland ice sheet to try and attempt a speed crossing of the ice cap itself. Each crevasse we crossed, jumped or went around posed a risk. We knew that the law of averages meant that, eventually, our luck would run out. One of us would, more likely than not, make a mistake and the consequences did not need describing. Some of the crossings were worse than others. With those where the gap was ten feet or more, making a jump impossible, Wilkie and I would sometimes find the last remnants of a rotten snow bridge. At times this was after perhaps a dozen hours of hard work, when our eyes would be out on stalks and we had pushed ourselves to the very limit. We needed to use our every sense to notice signs that our bridge might collapse. Our approaches to these genuinely menacing problems differed. Firstly, we had to choose a plan that did not destroy the bridge or weaken it too much, as both of us needed to cross. I would normally walk out to the edge of the crevasse to get a good look at the crossing point from the side, looking for the thickness of the snow and its firmness. The news was rarely good. Clearly unable simply to walk or ski across the weak snow, Wilkie decided to use his sledge as a tool. Gingerly, he would pull the blue plastic shell and its contents out onto the snow bridge and press down to make sure that it did not give way instantly. Then, one foot at a time, Wilkie would step down onto the bridge and push down with both hands on the sledge, transferring weight onto the wide shell base and lessening the chance of punching through with his boots. A final hop onto the opposite edge and he was safe, needing only to slide the sledge up after him. My method was different. I would pull the sledge right up to the edge of the crevasse and push it as far as possible without causing it to topple onto the snow bridge and collapse it. With the rope traces connecting me to the sledge slack, I would then drop down onto my belly and slide like a snake onto the snow. My heart rate went through the roof every time as my face was up close and personal with the one thing between me and a long fall. In a curious sort of shuffle, I then spread my weight out across my arms and legs and moved across. When nearing the opposite side, my traces would begin to go taut, threatening to bring my sledge crashing down after me. At that moment, I would need to slide my body onto a position where I could get up, move quickly, and then make my bid for the far edge. This singular movement would ensure I was at least partly on solid ice before the elastic bungees in the traces took up the slack and pulled the sledge, hopefully straight onto the bridge. I could then carefully, hand by hand, pull in the rope and reunite with my lifeline and supplies. I would then finally exhale, close my eyes and, and thank someone or other that I had made it. The relief never diminished. And so it would go on again and again. Only twice were we so unsure of the viability of a snow bridge that we decided to make the time-consuming effort of taking out our rope to set up a belay, ensuring both of us got across safely. Both bridges barely survived the experience. Wilkie, having calmly and modestly taken on multiple frontline tours of Afghanistan and independent climbs on Everest, K2 and Alpine North Faces, was clearly aware of the risks we had taken. There's no point in stating the blindingly obvious at the time, when the adrenaline is overriding fear, but he did concede some hours after we had covered the worst of the ice. That was pretty sketchy, fella. We took some very real risks then. He had summed it up perfectly. Our trials were not over, however. 
Despite the constant battering the sledges had taken, they had survived, but one of the tent poles had bent, and our anti-bear gun had punctured a hole in Wilkie's sledge bag. This could potentially cause problems should we face large melt streams in the west. Our spare ski, too long to go inside the sledges and so strapped on top of a sledge, had parted company and was most likely at the bottom of a crevasse. The good news was that on some areas of ice, there were now light layers of snow. There was not enough to fill crevasses reliably, but the number of snow bridges was growing and they were wider and stronger. Most were, anyhow. I had moved a crevasse ahead of Wilkie in order to make sure I was clear of it before he arrived, trying to build our momentum and speed to minimise wasted time. This meant that although we were only 20 feet or so apart, sometimes our view of one another was interrupted by ice. I had reached a fairly complex set of crevasses, again in the chessboard structure we had contended with to that point. Longitudinal crevasses ran in one direction and transverse ones in the other. This meant that there were crosses where they intersected. I had used a number of these meeting points to cross as they meant killing two birds, or rather crevasses in this case, with one stone. The particular one I had lined up next looked strong. I had checked the thickness of the snow from the side and I resolved to cross the bridge on foot, checking the snow with my ski poles every step. After three sharp taps, the rule of thumb was that the snow or ice should be safe. And so I made my move. At first, the surface seemed strong and I moved slowly and surely to the centre of the bridge, the only thing between a seemingly bottomless drop and me being a couple of feet of snow. All of a sudden, I was falling. I flung my arms out in an instinctive attempt to break my drop and I came to a halt. Incredibly, my head was still above the surface, but only just. I had expected to see pitch black and sure enough, as I looked down, all I could see were my feet dangling helplessly in a vast black nothingness. Time began to move so slowly for me that I remember each moment. Now was the time to do the right thing. It was the moment we all muse and hypothesise about. Do the right thing and live. Do the wrong thing and die. Although I could feel my heart beat harder and faster than I felt I could possibly sustain, I was strangely calm and clear in my head. Panic had not set in. I knew what I had to do. Moving was not one of those things. Even the slightest movement made chunks of snow fall from the bridge and let my body slide gradually lower. Just a few inches further and it would give way, letting me fall to my end. My glance down had told me there were no life-saving snow ledges below. Of course there would not be. It was late summer. Wishful thinking, Alex. My attention snapped back. I could not move back as I felt my sledge resting against the back of my head. It had clearly glided up behind me as I fell. Thank goodness it had not fallen through itself. Well, we've reached the end of today's podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We're still in the early stages of this podcast, so please, please, if you enjoyed it, spread the word via social media or even through old-fashioned word of mouth. Don't forget to subscribe so my next podcast appears automatically for you. Of course, you can follow whatever I'm up to on Twitter, at Alex Hibbert, via my website, which is alexhibbert.com. And finally, my books are available online, in bookstores, or direct from my website. Thanks so much again for climbing aboard in the early stages of my podcast, and I'll have the next one with you as soon as I can.